0: All right, good morning. If you could grab a Bible, uh, we're going to be in Ephesians uh, chapter 3. This morning we're finishing out uh, a series that we've been doing, going verse by verse uh, through Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. Um, what's next? What's next at Fellowship Raleigh? What are we doing next? Let me uh, speak to that for a second. Um, so we're finishing this series, Ephesians 1 to 3, Glorious Grace. Um, and we're going to start a sermon series next Sunday, uh, called God is, and we're going to be looking for a handful of weeks at different attributes of God. So his goodness, his lovingness, his holiness, these kind of things. And just looking in God's word at how he has revealed himself to us, his people. Okay. That goes along perfectly with uh, VBS because the theme of VBS is, is the attributes of God. And so just really excited for the families of our church to be studying something uh, together. Uh, we are in the fall, uh, going to do a sermon series called Life, Gender, Sexuality in the Bible. So that's going to be a few weeks, you know, maybe like a month. And, um, and we're going to look at Acts, the book of Acts, verse by verse after that. So exciting things coming up. Uh, I was going to dive into some of these things um, sooner. So we would maybe have already been in these series that I just mentioned, uh, particularly the one on gender, sexuality in the Bible. It's really a topic right now in our, in our culture. I know that we all know that. And, you know, and I share that only to say like, that's actually part of why I did this series on Ephesians 1 to 3. I felt like there are some things that, that I really want our church to look at and talk about with the Bible, um, but I felt strongly, you know, I don't know to say, I don't want to speak too strongly, but from the Lord, <laughs> that it would be helpful uh, for us to really do some deep work in the grace of God um, first, just as a church family, and, and, and then maybe from there, talk about some of these things. And so Ephesians 1 to 3, it's a study that's awesome in and of itself, but it also is serving that purpose for us. So hopefully that makes sense to you. So glorious grace. We've been in Ephesians 1 to 3 for 18 weeks. Um, we've looked at you know some amazing passages, and I hope you remember them. Um, the chosen was one, chapter 1, verse 4, we looked at election. Chosen in him before the foundation of the world. We looked at adoption, chapter 1, verse 5 through 6. We looked at being set free in Christ's redemption. We looked at our inheritance, or really understood properly that we are God's inheritance. We are His treasured possession in Christ. So it's true what Paul says in Ephesians 1, that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. That we are rich beyond our wildest imagination in the grace of God. And so this series has been glorious grace we finish it this morning. And we're in part two this morning of a prayer. This is Paul's prayer at the end of chapter three for the Ephesians. And so we're going to finish that out verses 17 through 21 of Ephesians three. I read this quote last week. I'll read it again from an Anglican bishop. He says this, who has not read and reread the closing verses of the third chapter of Ephesians with the feeling of one permitted to look through the parted curtains into the holiest place of the Christian life. This is such an important passage in Ephesians 3, and there's so much here for us. This prayer that Paul prays for them that we can learn so much from. In fact, I was looking... Um, At this passage this past week and thinking about just how Paul, how God's spirit has had Paul really arrange this passage for us. And it's like a blueprint. Uh, This past week at at, at our house, like someone was going to help me work on our deck and they said, you're going to have to get permits. And I was like, okay. and to do that, you're going to have to know all the measurements of your entire house in a blueprint. And I'm thinking, I do not have that document. So I'm going around my house with a tape measure, measuring this old house with all these different random rooms in it. So meticulous of a job to get every single little measurement. And so for me, just even this past week, I'm thinking about blueprints. The length, the width, the depth, just what's going on In a particular house, right? Well, in this prayer, we really are seeing a blueprint. He talks, and we looked at this last week, in verse 13, about Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith. That's ownership, right? Then he talks about being rooted and grounded in love. We're looking at that this morning. That's the foundation, Then he talks about the length, height, depth, and breadth of the love of Christ. And so that's the measurements and dimensions. And then at the end, being filled with the fullness of God. You know, furnishing the house, the occupancy. And then he dedicates it to him be the glory in the church forever. And so really, I do think what we have here is the schematics, the blueprint of God's people. Hence the title this morning, God's Blueprint for the Christian Life. And so we've been studying this prayer, and and that's our focus this morning, this blueprint for the Christian life. But this prayer gives to us five lessons from Paul's greatest prayer. Last week, we looked at the first two, prioritize interior spiritual life. Number two, invite Jesus to abide in and rule my whole heart. And so now this this week, we're looking at the final three lessons. And we'll see those in a moment. Let me just read the passage, verse 17 through 21 and pray, and we're going to dive in. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. But I'm going to start in verse 17. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length in height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for this opportunity to come together and study the word of God, to look at what you have to say to us today. Lord, I pray that as we study a prayer. Lord, I just I'm aware that right now I'm praying for our study of a prayer. I just pray, God, that in being so many steps removed perhaps from action, that we would not this morning make the mistake of a fool who looks into the Word of God and walks away unimpacted and unchanged. So Lord, would you help us to draw out from this passage of Scripture life-changing truth for our lives this morning? Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. So a blueprint for our lives as Christians, these lessons from Paul's greatest prayer, we're looking at number three right now, and it is this, major on love for God and people. Not like a minor, right, but a major. Sometimes, you know, when you're in school, if you go to college, you got to pick a major. What will I major in? Sometimes we're undecided because we are not sure yet. Let's decide right now as God's people, we are to major on love for God and for people. Of course, we must say we love him because he first loved us, 1 John 4. But look at the text. Look at why the point is the point. It says in the second part of verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Again, remember, Paul's praying for the Ephesian Christians. So when he says that you, he's talking to them. He's talking to the Ephesian Christians. And who are they? It's important that we remember they are genuine followers of Christ. This is not written to or a prayer for non-Christians. This is not written to or a prayer for cultural Christians, people who would just say, I grew up in church, but are not walking with the Lord. This is a prayer for genuine Christians that the major of their life be the love of God, that they be rooted and grounded in love. you are not in Christ, if you have not decided to follow Jesus, then you can overhear the burden this morning that Scripture places on Christians that they would major in love for God and people. And you certainly are invited to come to Christ. But this is for believers, and believe it, we need to major on the love of God. Continuing, he says, being rooted and grounded in love. You know, you might say, whose love? Is this God's love for me or my love for God? Being rooted and grounded in love, whose love? Well, verse 19 mentions the love of Christ for us. So this mention of the love is of God's love or is of our love for God, right? That's what this is, being rooted and grounded in love. And that makes sense. Because, you know, when we talked last week about Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith, it's the idea that his loving nature, being so central in us, will naturally and effortlessly lead to love in and through our lives, like breathing is natural and effortless. The word love here is the word agape, it, it's, it's important that we define love carefully, not just use the popular cultural definition of love, a warm, fuzzy, sentimental feeling that's more than like. Right. This word is used 259 times in the New Testament. It was pretty much invented by Christianity. One person defines it as selflessly seeking the highest good of another. Agape love being rooted and grounded in love. We are to major on love for God and love for people. Now, why should we do this? Number one, to obey. I mean, this is a prayer, but it's also instruction for us, right? To obey. We should love God and love people to obey the Lord. That's a good reason. John 13, a new commandment I give you. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Think about that. That's not love your neighbor as yourself. That's not. Do you notice that? That's higher than that. You are to love one another as I have loved you, Jesus is saying. In other words, I sacrificially died on the cross for your sins. Sacrificial agape love. You are to love one another like that. Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is love. So again, we are majoring on love. That's Paul's prayer. That's important here. Reasons to do it, to obey. Another reason to do it is the benefit of it. So I want to give you an example here. Think about this. If a person is rooted and grounded in love, it gives them tracks to run on experientially that they might really understand and know the love of God. Here's what I mean by that. If a person has only known hurt, neglect, and abandonment, let's say, for example, they do not have the experiences, the categories shaped in their life in order to fully comprehend the selfless, generous, secure, dignifying, and unconditional love of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They can hear about it. They can come to church. They can meet you for coffee. They can hear about the love of God for them. They can pray to receive Christ, become a Christian, and be excited about the love for God for them. They can be floored by the idea of it and respond in faith to it, but it will take some time being rooted and grounded in love in the spiritual family of Jesus Christ, the church, that's you and me, for the new experiences of being loved to shape new categories through which then we can comprehend the love of Jesus Christ. Does this make sense? The love we show our neighbor is not the same as the love of God, but it does give the love of God tracks to run on in the mind of our neighbor. That's why we major on love for God and love for one another. We're praying, we're seeking to create categories of, of being loved in people's lives such that when they hear the gospel, it clicks for them because they've seen that kind of love. And in one another's lives, as we love each other, we're creating experiences in each other's lives that they feel the love of God. Different from the world's love. And so we major on the love of God. That's what we do. So how do we apply this? Well, You have to get your life rooted and grounded in the love of Christian community. We've got to be committed to Christian fellowship. We all have a step here, right? Just to take a step of being more committed in Christian fellowship such that we can be part of this majoring on love together. Let's look at the fourth one, the fourth lesson from Paul's greatest prayer. And here it is. Expand my view of the love of Jesus Christ. One thing about these these points in this prayer that Paul is doing here, is each one builds on the next one. So like one, two, three, four, five. And it's like, as we get to number five at the end, I mean, it's just the peak. You're at the top. It's like the highest prayer request. But we're just building up. Each one sort of builds on the next one. And so this one is to expand my view of the love of Christ. So look at verse 18. Again, he's praying for them that they may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And so, again, that point about each thing building on the next thing. And again, here it is. So, I, that's why I was saying when we're rooted and grounded in love that then leads to the next point. You're taking one more step up, and it is that you might have the strength to comprehend. Being rooted in grounded love enables a person to comprehend. With all the saints, what is the breadth? There are four things here. Breadth, length, height, and depth. These, all four of these things are forms of measurement. Measurement. You know, it's not actually clear in verse 18 what Paul is talking about. He doesn't say the love of God in verse 18. He just says that they may have strength to comprehend. Look carefully at it. With all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? And then he says, and to know the love of Christ. So you could say maybe he's not talking about the love of Christ. What is he talking about when he says the breadth and length and height and depth? It's like he doesn't supply what he's actually saying the measurements are of. One church father, Jerome, said this was the dimensions of the cross. Thomas Aquinas said for sure he thinks it's the love of Christ. Because in the next verse, that is the point. He also points out in Romans 8... It says, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The implication is that that's a similar verse saying the same thing. The point is the breadth and length and height and depth is about the love of Christ. Let's go with that one. So let's look at this. Let's let's look at these measurements. Breadth. The idea of how encompassing is something. And again, the idea here is Paul is praying that we would have the strength to comprehend what it really is. So there's what we think it is, and then there's what it really is, the love of Christ. And Paul wants us to go from what you think it is and to move over to here. That's the point. And so breadth, how encompassing is it? What's the size, the scope of the love of Christ? And so oftentimes the breadth that we sort of have is just our world, my world, like my little life, my relationships, my sort of laps around, you know, North Hills or whatever I'm doing in my life. And Paul's like, I want the breadth, the scope, the size of the love of Christ in your mind to go from that to the true breadth that is encompassing of Jews and Gentiles, that is encompassing of all cultures and all people. The length, how long, the win of the love of Christ. How long has he been doing this? What's the length? Oftentimes we're like, the length is my life, right? My my date of birth to today, like that's the length. Paul's like, no, I want you to really measure it. The length is, and he mentions this in Ephesians 1, before the foundation of the world. God is love. He didn't start loving at the cross. He didn't start loving when you came to know Christ. He's always been loving in perfect love in the Trinity. The length of God's love. The height of God's love. How tall is it? Like a flood that covers tall mountains. His love can cover the tallest of our sins. The depth of God's love. How deep does it go? God's love, unlike ours, it's not a pat on the back for our lovable qualities. God's love is God, the eternal Son, stepping down out of heaven, taking on a human nature, stepping further down, dying on a cross for unlovable, spiritually dead rebels like you and me. Jesus then even further descending into death and then rose from the grave. So how deep is the love of Christ? As deep as death. God's love can meet you in a deep place, a low place, a dark place the full dimensions of the love of Christ. It's really amazing when you really measure and look at it. You cannot measure it. Isaac Watts wrote this hymn, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss in poor contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. We're surveying the measurements of the love of Christ. Now that's just verse 18. Don't forget verse 19. That is part of this point. This point being, expand my view of the love of Jesus Christ. Verse 18 and 19 look at the first part of verse 19. It says, and to, do you see it? Know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul does something interesting here. He uses two different words for the word know. He says, and to know, and there he uses a word that has to do with experiential knowledge to really know something and to experience it. He says, and to know, experiential knowledge, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, book knowledge. That's interesting. He's like, I want you to know the love of Christ, not just know about it. We went to uh, San Diego for vacation one summer as a, well not as a family, I mean as a family, but we're just a married couple, no kids, and I was, to see the Pacific Ocean was the main goal, like we hadn't done that, and that sounded really great. I knew that it was vast, that it covers one-third of the surface of the earth, the Pacific Ocean, and I'd never seen it, never experienced it, knew about it, but hadn't really gotten to know it, right? So my goal was to go take this once-in-a-lifetime trip. And because, you know, we don't go out there all the time, um, you know, we're going to invest. We're going to invest in a nice hotel. We're going to stay right on the beach. Like, I'm not trying to be, like, two blocks from the beach my one time at the Pacific Ocean. You know, I want to wake up, go on the balcony. I want to look at it, because, like, I'm going to be there only one time. And so make the investment. Spend a little extra. You're not going to come back. And get the room with the beach view. And we did that. And... So we're there. Heard so much about the Pacific Ocean you hear about as a kid growing up. You know we, don't, we obviously are in, on the East Coast here. And so no one told me that it's really cold in May in Southern California. No one told me that. I'm from Florida, it's really hot in May in Florida. I'm thinking Florida, California, same thing. Should be no problem. It's cold. It's cold. It's too cold to swim. And, and so I did not swim. The whole goal of the trip was to experience the Pacific Ocean, not look at it and know about it. I already had that. And so uh, we did swim. I, I swam in the hotel hot tub, um, and that's it. We actually spent a lot of time grumpy, um, arguing in the hotel room. I don't know if you, anyone here has ever done a destination argument, but I've done a few of those. Um, You know, we could have stayed home to do that. It was kind of a disappointment. I guess the point is this. We've we've got to get this huge, vast view of the full dimensions of the love of Jesus. Survey the wondrous cross. But we also need to swim out into it every day. We can't sit in the room and be grumpy or just sit in the hot tub. We have to dive into the ocean of God's love. How do we do that? Confession. God, I confess my sin. Wow, you forgive me again? The love of Christ. Repentance. Walking with Jesus. As we survey the wondrous cross, but as we walk with Jesus in this relationship with Him, where we confess our sin, we turn from our sin, and we put our trust in Him again and again and again. Expand my view of the love of Jesus Christ. Five lessons from Paul's greatest prayer major on love, expand my view of love, and now number five. Number five would be never settle for a goal less than total Christlikeness. He says at the end of verse 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So we're now at the top of the prayer. This is like if it's an ascending staircase and each step builds upon the one before, we're on the top step. And it's a bold request here. Think about honestly what this really means. Don't just read this phrase all quick like, oh, there's some Bible prairie language, prayerish language. Don't do that. Think about what this says. That you, that's us, that's Christians, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So let's ask questions of this verse. What does this verse pray that we would be filled with? Answer, God. That we would be filled with God. The fullness of God. That's who God is, that's his attributes. So, really, this is another way of saying that we would be Christ like. Let's ask another question How much are we to be filled? Answer, how full is God? He is completely and infinitely full, lacking nothing. That's why when it says that you may be filled, how much? With all the fullness of God. That's total. There's no deficiency in the fullness of God. It's total. So again, the point is total Christlikeness. That's Paul's prayer. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. John Stott says, God's fullness or perfection becomes the standard or level up to which we pray to be filled. We are pessimistic people, at times cynical. We set low goals for ourselves so that we can meet them and feel good. We don't often have confidence that we can do more, that we can be stronger, that we can achieve more with the help of Christ. And yet here we see Paul's prayer for them is that the Ephesians, and for us too, that they never settle for a goal less than total Christ-likeness. Now, if you're a Christian today, you are going to have to settle for the reality of being less than totally christ That's called being a Christian, living with your fallen nature in this fallen world until the return of Christ when we will be made like him. You have to deal with that. You have to settle with that. But let's talk about goals. That should not be our goal. That should not be our goal. And we need to do away with that mentality of having. No ambitious and audacious goals for our walk with Christ. Never settle for a goal less than total Christ-likeness. Paul's not a cynic. He's not a pessimist. Paul knows better than you know about the fallen nature. He calls himself the chief of sinner. He knows better than we do about human depravity. And he knows and taught more than we ever would know about how total Christlikeness will not come till the return of Christ. However, such knowledge has not led Paul Has it led you to this? Such knowledge has not led Paul to toss the goal of total Christ-likeness in the trash because of cynicism and pessimism. Many times as Christians, we walk with God on cruise control. The best days are behind us. In this verse, this prayer from Paul encourages us to change gears, to accelerate. Philippians 3 says, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. In other words, Paul's just saying, when I cross the finish line, I want to be at the fastest clip of my entire spiritual life and journey as a Christian. When I break the tape, when I meet Christ, I want to be so close to Him in my relationship because my Christian life was a life of growing toward my goal of total Christlikeness. He concludes with verse 20 and 21. It's a conclusion to his prayer. It's a doxology. It's a sort of spontaneous interruption of praise. The conclusion I'll read to you in a second. But again, back to the idea of blueprint. You've seen in in this prayer of Paul, Christ dwelling in our hearts, ownership, being rooted and grounded in love, the foundation the length, the height, the depth, the measurements and the dimensions filled with all the fullness of God. What fills the house? Christ-likeness. And then the conclusion sort of functions as the dedication, the consecration of the house to the glory of God. And this really challenges us, right? If the title is a blueprint for the Christian life that's given to us by God, then we should feel challenged this morning that we would plan and design our lives according to His blueprint. Again, it's, a, it's like a spontaneous interruption of praise. Verse 20 and 21. Watch it. He says, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Hold on, stop for a second. Paul, you just asked for more in your prayer than any of us have ever asked for. What you just asked for in your prayer, Paul, is like it's like unattainable in this life. And yet he still his view of God, His view of the power of God is that God is able to do far more, not just far more, far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. How? According to the power at work. Where? Within us. Verse 21, to Him be glory. Glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God is able to do what we ask. Amen? Even what we only think and fail to ask. God is able to do far more than we ask, according to this verse. God is able to do far more abundantly than what we ask. And it's all to His glory. The one who does it by His power is the one who gets the glory. In the church, that is the people of God. That is this building He's building and it's Jews and Gentiles. And in every generation forever, including our generation. So let's close in prayer as the worship team comes back to sing about how deep the Father's love is for us. And so if you'll bow with me, I want to pray.